Global Sport Matters presents, in collaboration with Columbia University Sports Management, the Sports Professors Podcast, where Professors Kenneth Shropshire and Scott Rosner discuss the 101 on what happened in sports business. Hello and welcome to the Sports Professors Podcast. I'm Scott Rosner, the Academic Director of the Sports Management Program at Columbia University, from which my co-host, Ken Shropshire, is an alum of the university. Ken is the Director of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. How you doing today, Ken? Great, great. And, and you know, I was recruited by Columbia as an undergrad, too, to play football there. Well, how about that? You, you, you know, you could have done great things on the football field had you attended uh, our campus in Morningside Heights, I am sure. Pretty distinguished yeah. professor, but nonetheless. Well, my analysis is, in with this whole name, image, likeness thing, would I have been better off at Columbia or Stanford? Oh, clear, clearly, the place to be is Miami right now. I mean, clearly, clearly. And we're, we're going to get to this uh, in uh, in our is really the in our, the biggest part of our conversation today uh, around intercollegiate athletics. Uh, but just kind of before we do so, uh, wanted to see if anything caught your eye beyond the world of intercollegiate athletics uh, in the past week. Well, you know, the whole Olympic. Problem. I mean, it, it, it's so multifaceted now. And if we start with Shikari Richardson, we, and we'd start with her disqualification and the idea that her penalty lasts just long enough to keep her out of her, her race, and therefore she's not going to participate in the Olympics. And, and I think a lot of what we're seeing, both with that and with elements related to whether or not athletes can protest, we're seeing that the U.S. via the USOPC and USADA, United States Anti-Doping Agency, being a little bit more flexible. I mean, seeming to both want to allow athletes to protest, and I bet the penalty would have been reduced far enough for Shikari to participate. Or we got the World Anti-Doping Agency, which is is very uh, stern in terms of the penalties they assert, and the International Olympic Committee, which is kind of kind of doubled down in some ways, in a sideways kind of way, on don't protest on the victory stand. So, so that, that's what I've really been, been thinking about is, is the real difference in the way sport is beginning to be treated in the U.S. with the name, image, and likeness, sort of all these openings, athlete rights, where the world is, is not there. Yeah, and the athletes in the U.S. have certainly played in many respects a, a leadership role, and there obviously have been others globally that have uh, that have done so. Uh, but the treatment of the athletes seems to be a bit more advanced um, or, or a bit more evolved, if we want to call it that, in the United States compared to uh, where it is currently globally. So specifically thinking about Shikari Richardson, uh, so she fails a drug test uh, for marijuana while she is in uh, which she which she says she smoked in uh, Oregon, you know, in the or surrounding the the trials, um, the penalty uh, that she agreed to is a thirty day penalty. It takes her out, as you said, uh, of her individual one hundred meter race. Uh, there was still the possibility that she could have been named to the four by one hundred race. Uh, the U.S. Uh, USA Track and Field did not name her to that, so she will not compete in the games. Um, and what did I hear your thoughts around? I mean, you know, obviously it touches a lot of different things. Marijuana uh, is legal in Oregon, where she where she smoked. Um, but 
um, WADA, as you mentioned, and USADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency and the United States Anti-Doping Agency, uh, it is on the banned list. Uh, now, there have been changes to the amount of marijuana that you have to smoke to fall uh, within the penalty range. It was, it was increased somewhat significantly uh, in, in recent times, um, and she still failed. So it's really been a polarizing conversation uh, around it. It's actually been uh, a conversation that has invoked um, uh, a, a lot of uh, discussions around race um, and differential treatment there as well. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts uh, just on, on the penalty uh, and, you know, really where you stand on the whole thing. Well, let's, let's start with marijuana as a banned substance. Yeah. It's performance enhancing drug. And I, I, for one, was fully in the camp of, you know, if you can run a world record 100 after you smoke a joint, then you deserve to be on the team. I mean, that was, that was kind of my initial <laughs> run at it. And, and then as you, as you read more of what's out there and the studies that are out there, and, and I guess the foundation for the banning is the relaxation that it causes, the release of anxiety, which is something that if you don't have that, you're about to go into a race that arguably gives you an advantage. So, so my understanding of why the rule exists got some clarity in this, in this kind of intense moment of, of thinking about it. That said, I mean, you know, the, you brought the race issue up. It, it has turned out that there's an extraordinary number of, of black athletes around the world, uh, the Namibians and, and otherwise that are being banned for uh, a number of different reasons, testosterone, marijuana, uh, uh, performance enhancing drugs otherwise. So, so that's, that's been an extraordinary and, a, 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 again, a, a moment of seems to be disproportionate and, and certainly something to, to take a closer, closer look at. You know, in, in the end, you know, I come down on water, though. I mean, it, it is, I have some clarity that USADA would have said, okay, you did this, it's a violation. This is the greatest games in the world getting ready to come up. We can't. We don't want to bar you from participating. So we're going to give you a, a two-week penalty, you know, whatever that would mean. Because in, in, in essence, the only thing that the, the month-long penalty is saying is you can't participate in the Olympic Games, which seems pretty severe uh, for somebody. It, it happens at a moment where the games are coming up, and and you know the rationale. You know, I, I, I spoke to because uh, the loss of, of of my biological mother. I mean, that, that's something to ask with passion about the timing people have discussed, you know, you know wasn't in the moment. So uh, why is that still relevant? But, but I, I just think I just think it is a very severe penalty. And I, and I am one, you know, hey, I, I've gone into court and asked uh, the the traffic officer that, that busted me to agree to 10 miles over the speed limit. So that I suffer a lesser penalty. I mean, there are agreements that are made in all kinds of settings. So this is one where it's unfortunate that there's not that kind of negotiation available. Yeah, and, and USADA, just to be clear, has no flexibility uh, right. to lower that penalty uh, less than the 30 days. I was a little surprised that USA Track and Field didn't name her to the four by 100, you know, as a, as a show of compassion, empathy uh, towards it. I, I think that the consideration there was about fairness to the other athletes who you know, would, would, and there would be one athlete who would be bumped, uh, essentially, because Shakari Richardson would be named to the team. So, you know, I look at it, 
just in terms of the test itself. So she, you know what the rules are, right? And if you've ever, you know, talked to anyone from the US OPC, um, you know, who works in, you know, on the athlete side of the, of the equation, you know, they have a card that they hand out that's a hotline that the athletes, um, you know, are, are a card that has the list of banned drugs on it and a hotline number uh, that you can call any hour before you take a drug, right? So, and the performance enhancement piece, I agree with you. I mean, I think that the relaxation piece of it, which she herself, Richardson, said that uh, was why she took it to kind of give herself a break. And we understand mental health questions around athletes. Um, but in this one, um, you know, you look at it, you, it was a banned substance. Right. You knew it was banned. You smoked anyway. And there was a performance, indirect performance benefit. Yeah, and, and, and you didn't need that little card to tell you that marijuana is on the list. I mean, that's that's one that. That's right, and there are some drugs, by the way, that you would never know. Right, there are drugs, that, you know, the beta blockers. Right, if you don't have a therapeutic use exemption for a beta blocker, which is a frequently used drug in in uh, treatment of various cardiac ailments, you would fail. Right. Well, you know, why would a beta blocker be on there? It doesn't help you perform, but it slows your heart rate down. And if you're a shooter. For example, triathlon, yeah. right? When you go really, you know, you're really going fast, and then you can steal your hands, um, you know, and and make sure that you are have a more accurate shot. Um, so there's all sorts of drugs that are on there that you wouldn't think about, but yeah, very clearly, um, marijuana would would be on there now. Whether it should be on there is a different question, but it is on there now, and I think that the justice uh, meted out in Richardson's case um, was appropriate. Um, you know, again, I was a little surprised uh, and, and somewhat hopeful that she would be named uh, to the, the four by one relay. Uh, but alas, that was not to be. So so to, to be clear, just make sure everybody understands we disagree. So you don't think that Benwada should have stepped up with a compassionate exemption based on the circumstances? So I would have loved to have seen them do so, but it doesn't really exist within the framework of their rules. Of the rules. So whether they should have is different, Ken, than I think whether they could have. And in this instance, the could have, they don't have the ability to do that right now. Right now, thank, if they were to thank you for fully displaying your University of Pennsylvania law degree. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so often it comes in handy, right? Uh, no, but, but I think that's the difference. So I think we agree on a lot of it, but I just don't, I, I just don't think there was any wiggle room um, for it in this case. Now, again, should there be a revisiting of these rules going forward? Yeah, I think so. De- definitely. And, and we, we're seeing now against UFC uh, this week, I think, said marijuana is no longer a violation. It's relaxed throughout the other professional leagues in a way that uh, it varies. And, and I think there's a lot of wink and nodding going on with marijuana. And, and with the state laws changing uh, so dramatically, it, it really is something to take a close look at. But there is that performance element, which you know I don't profess to fully understand, but it, there's some convincing arguments out there that it can help. Yeah, it, no question. And you know, the one that always gets me that makes me laugh is that um, the, the places, and there's a couple of, of organizations that are like this, where it's on the banned list. But we don't test for it. So it's kind of like, okay, you know, wink and nod, as you said. And for me, I may or may not have fallen asleep on the football field had I partaken before playing. So I, I just don't know what the performance elements are. Yeah. So 
Uh, what else just caught your eye? I mean, you know, and, and, and things that uh, we're going to dive into this week. Well, I really want to talk about this name, image, and likeness. You know, I, mean, I was jumping the gun there earlier to, to delve into it, but it really is fascinating how this whole thing's evolving. And I, re I really do want to hear your your opinion on not, not only where we are. I, mean, I think we can talk about some of the deals that are there, but where where this is going to head is this is this just a floodgates moment and it's going to simmer down, or is even more creativity going to occur along the way? I mean, you want to talk? You know, kind of give a for those who haven't been focused. Uh, set up how, how we got here, but but also talk about what, what your feelings are about the deals we've seen thus far. Yeah, and so it's been a seismic last two weeks or so in the world of intercollegiate athletics and the business of intercollegiate athletics. So we'll start with the Austin VNCAA decision handed down by the Supreme Court. Yeah, which is not directly on this issue, but opens it up and I think was the it was really the the pipe buster for the NC2A to do what they did. I, I think that's right. And now it's for our listeners, it's a very different area of the law. Um, you know, NIL is is intellectual property rights um, and and related to that um, on the Austin side of the equation, it's antitrust law, right? So you know they're they're very different areas of the law, but I think you're right. They are interconnected um, in the sense that once the Austin decision comes down, the NCAA's hands are really tied with what they can do in the interim with respect to name, image, and likeness. So there are, uh, as we sit here today. Um, there are about a dozen states that have an iteration of name, image, and likeness laws that have been passed. The remainder have not. Um, there have been a number of different bills introduced in Congress um, that uh, are very early on in the legislative process. Uh, nothing has been enacted yet. So you've got this array of different frameworks that are in place between the 350 plus NCAA institutions, which are located, of course, in all 50 states in the United States and, and one in Canada, by the way, as well, um, at, a, at, you know, in, in, at Simon Fraser University. Um, but, you know, we, we think about this and Division Two and Division Three are also engaged in all of this. And it is right now a very, very difficult landscape to navigate for a number of different people. Now, the student athletes, and I think we both agree on this, Ken, uh, based on our prior conversations, that we're all for students being able to monetize their name, image, and likeness, right? To be very clear about it. Um, you know, I think where it gets, the devil's always in the details of all of this, and the details right now are really fuzzy and really inconsistent from state to state. Yeah, the, 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 the deal that jumps out at me, and, and we mentioned it at, at the top, is that deal that, that's been offered to the 90 players on the Miami football team. So there's a, a, a guy that runs a MMA gym or a series of gyms, apparently, I mean, it must be successful, offering each player $6,000 per year for essentially endorsing these these gems, which equals for math whizzes here, I don't know. They tell me this is the number five hundred forty thousand dollars, 
And a lot of stuff comes into play there. I mean, I was the 90th man on the Stanford football team. If a check for six grand came out of the sky, that, that would be a wonderful day. It wouldn't, it wouldn't change my life. There wouldn't be any big money management problems. Uh, Jack in the box would be inundated by my presence. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of positive things that, that would happen. And so I don't think it would negatively impact me. But I think the side of it that I look at is what kind of influence is this gym owner now going to have over these players? Is how close is this to the line or is this over the line? And what are we going to see next? But, but he's, he's done. He's gone within the, the structure of the Florida law. Yeah, it works within the Florida law. And a couple things, Ken, just that you brought up to be to clarify. One, NCAA football rosters were bigger when you were competing. <laughs> so I think 90 may be somewhat generous based on your prior descriptions of your football acumen. That's one. And two, Jack in the Box? That's where you're going? <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm just going to throw back to the history of, of where I was on El Camino in uh, Palo Alto. That, yeah, I thought you would go Orange Julius, just saying. No, no, no. They, they didn't have that in Palo Alto. That was in Palo Alto. Got it. So <laughs> thank you for the clarification. Yes, so yes. as we think about um, the name image likeness, the, the, the question that Miami deal was really creative. And the question is, and, and Florida has legislation on point. Uh, we've got the Florida Panthers offering student athletes uh, merchandise and, and cash uh, in, in, in exchange for tweets and, and social media activity and their support. Um, it is there's an order to it. And again, we're we're you know it's we're we're supporting the student athletes on this, but it's chaotic right now. You know, I don't I don't want to use necessarily the phrase wild wild west right now, um, but it's the early days where creativity rules the day. And I'm sure that we're going to see far more creative deals than that. One of the things that seems very clear though, by the NCAA's language, and the NCAA basically has ceded all responsibility back to the individual institutions. Um, and they did so because they really, again, have their hands tied by this new, you know, ruling in, in Alston uh, that has come down the pike and they don't want to open themselves up to even more liability on that ground going forward. But by doing so, they really wound up to slapping together a somewhat, you know, after, after a long time of studying this. I mean, they really smart people looking at this for a really long time who had all sorts of different policies and procedures that were introduced uh, and plans. And then this was kind of thrown together haphazardly last minute, um, given the timing of the Austin decision to the July 1st deadline that was looming uh, for the enactment of the, this, this legislation in a number of different states. So uh, it's chaotic right now, but one of the things that's clear about the NCAA rules in place, so if there's a conflict between NCAA rules and state rules, you have to follow the state rules, right? So state law trumps NCAA rule, right, uh, is one. The second is, well, what if your state doesn't have a state law, right? Then it's left up to the individual institution to pass their own regulations. And what those regulations say is, is you know, there's really very few kind of guardrails in place, but it says, listen, um, you know, it's, you, you can't use it as a recruiting inducement. Now, if I'm a kid and I go, and I know that if I go to university of Miami, 
for example, and I'm going to get my $6,000 and I'm considering that versus another school or that's located in the state with different sets of regulations or in a state that doesn't have um, uh, any sorts of, of uh, regulations at all in place, but the school has said, no, you can't do that, right? Then there's a recruiting advantage to that university, correct? Yeah, yeah. And now I'm, I'm leaning towards uh, Arkansas. Did you hear about that one for the offensive line at Arkansas? Yeah, I mean, that's a great one. Go ahead and explain that one, Ken. Well, as I've heard, and as a former offensive lineman, there's a barbecue, rights barbecue, they have offered, and I don't know what the amount was. Did, did, did you did you catch that? I, I don't. I don't. I didn't see the amount. They, maybe all the barbecue barbecue you can eat to the offensive linemen, and the and the hashtag these linemen are uh, tweeting out and using in social media. Otherwise, is built by barbecue. So so there there is so much creativity that's going on by these these enterprises trying to figure out ways to to get athletes. Involved and, and and I think you know to me it's it's right now it's there's a level of entertainment and excitement in what's being created. The two young ladies from the twins from Fresno State. I mean, no offense to Fresno State, nobody would have you know other than hardcore fans were focused on on them. But now they they've got more of a name and also uh, just as as uh, was Boost Mobile, just as they they. <laughs> there's just all this chatter about it that wouldn't have occurred. Yeah, frankly, if they if they signed up a, a big name professional athlete, they they got a lot of mileage just just by signing. No, and, and there there is a tremendous amount of mileage. The Cavender Twins is who you're you're talking about, um, and they have a really significant social media following. And so I think one of the things we'll, we'll see going forward, right? I mean, this is almost all, aside from the local deals that you might sign, the Arkansas football players um, doing deal with local barbecue, um, it's almost all going to be driven on a national scale by social media um, and what your social media followings are. I think it, it also would seem very clear that, you know, the bigger brand schools that are kind of football powerhouses, basketball powerhouses, that student athletes at those schools where there's a higher profile are going to have a financial advantage uh, over students at other kind of lower profile schools. So you can argue that the rich are going to get richer here from an institutional perspective. In other words, like, you know, Alabama's football players uh, if you think about it from from that perspective, uh, have a higher profile, and they're probably going to be able to get more deals than kind of a group of five, um, you know, University of Tulsa, um, you know, football player might be able to get just because they're associated with Alabama. Now that raises all sorts of other questions: Can they use Alabama's intellectual property? Are there any group licensing rights? Um, and there has been um, a cottage industry of different folks who have uh, come into this ecosystem. Ken, you're part of one, right? Um, you know, and, and it, as, as a business that you're associated with, um, you know, consultants, agents, um, compliance officers are inundated right now. Uh, what is a very difficult job to begin with, uh, they're inundated. So maybe, you know, having a good compliance director uh, is worth its weight in gold. Um, and maybe they get more leverage in the marketplace. But this is how competitive markets work, right? So, and it's just for the benefit of student athletes. Um, and this, this, this is very much, 
again, the, the step that we're not to, and everybody keeps talking about, this is very much like allowing compensation to be paid, pay being given to athletes for their performance, just straight out pay. Everybody's concerned about you know, how do you do it? This is how you do it. The market will take care of itself. It's, it's going to settle out at some point. This, you know, my man in, in Miami may realize he paid too much. I mean, so, so he won't do it again next year. And, and the barbecue guy may realize all the barbecue you can eat is too much and, and may limit it to, you know, 50 bucks a month or something like that. So, so these things will take care of themselves. There's going to be some problems along the way. There's going to be new rules put in place, but we wouldn't have known unless the, the, the free market was opened up and, and it would begin to settle out. Yeah. And so is the answer here federal legislation? I mean, is, is, is it now not just would be a nice thing to have, but is it, is it necessary now to have that? You know, now I would lay back on legislation. Really? I, I, I let me see how this goes. What are you going to legislate? So, so the, you, you might grab on to one of the model state uh, legislations if, if you don't have one to have some kind of is 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 is, is, is uses now some sort of guardrails in place. Right. The NCAA was in an odd way correct. Like let's just pull ourselves out of this for now and and let things happen. But I, I think the corrector, heaven forbid, is going to be Congress. <laughs> that that if the NCAA doesn't try to put something together. Congress is the one who will have to put in the guidelines that will settle this out. And, and as we know, the, the U.S. government, federal government and sports, it just doesn't happen much. That, that's not what the federal government wants to do. We, we are the one nation that avoids having the, the Ministry of Sport. So it's going to be interesting to see how this, this plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's one of two things. It's either a piece of congressional legislation um, which, you know, is, is certainly not imminent. Um, you know, I, I would think that 2022 is, is, uh, you know, is the earliest that we would see a piece of federal legislation. And what that ultimately looks like, um, is, you know, anyone's guess. There have been an array of different, as I said, pieces of legislation introduced. Um, I'm not so sure that anyone is, uh, close to being one that we would want to see enacted at this moment in time. Um, you know, and then the other thing you mentioned is whether or not the Uniform Commission, um, you know, on, on state laws gets together. I'm butchering the name of it. But, um, you know, as we as we think about the, the commission, uh, whether or not there is a piece of model legislation that is introduced uh, and then the states can consider that as well. Again, I struggle with that one a little bit because states already have legislation on the books and the states are free to vary from um, you know, from that, uh, from that legislation. So I, I do think that, that federal legislation is probably the best answer, um, at this moment in time. Uh, but something's going to happen, you know, in terms of guardrails being put up, um, because right now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's early, um, but you just see the way it's trending. It's great for the student athletes. Um, but I just see, you know, a school, um, you know, they, they will perceive themselves as disadvantaged with a, with a high-powered uh, legislator uh, that represents uh, their district, um, and uh, there'll be some changes introduced. Yeah, no, no, it's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm sure we'll be, we'll be talking about it some more as we go along. But again, overall, great for the student-athletes. Um, well, an overlooked piece of this, by the way, um, is, although you mentioned the Cavender Twins, um, at Fresno State, the basketball players, 
um, is potential benefits for female student athletes. And, you know, there's two sides of this, right? That more female student athletes will be able to benefit um, and realize the value of the, their, their name image likeness. Um, but the flip side of this is, well, you know, they're and including a group of former NCAA student athletes and said, Hey, this may not be the best thing uh, for female student athletes. It actually may further uh, the divide between what male student athletes get versus what female student athletes get. Yeah. And we haven't, maybe it's happened. I haven't seen it. We haven't even seen the, you know, the UCLA gymnastics team deal. That's sort of the, there, there are sports like that that people were counting on to be the big, the big numbers. So we'll see how that goes. I, I think the, the, the last element to watch is again, related to the Miami deal, the concerns that, that donors like the MMA gym guy will no longer give to the institution. They'll give to the individual athletes. So athletic departments are concerned about that. So we'll see how that plays out too. And some, by the way, could be steered that way, right? That it could be more impactful to give $500,000 to student athletes uh, as the case in Miami than it is $500,000 to the institution. But so there is an element of, uh, of competition between the two, um, I tend to think that most athletic administrators and fundraisers would say, um, hey, no, the money can be better spent by by giving to the university and better used. Um, but it remains to be seen. Yeah. So beyond name image likeness and Austin v. NCAA, I think which is we haven't discussed a whole lot. But I think the short conversation around Austin, the NCAA, is that the short-term impacts will be fairly minimal across the landscape. Name image likeness compared to the short-term impacts of Austin, um, you know, I, I think are, are much greater. Um, but the long-term impacts of Austin uh, are a bit different. And what the long-term impact of that decision on the landscape of intercollegiate athletics uh, might be um, could be pretty significant. Now, let's make a quick distinguishing point here that there's been a lot of attention paid to Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion, right? That basically says, you've got a friend in me, right? It's like the Toy Story Randy Newman song, right? Uh, that is that is queued up. He's, he's, um, proclaimed, he's proclaimed himself a friend of the jock. I am, I am a former jock. All right. I'm, I'm down with you. Right, you've got a friend in me. Um, and so if you pursue litigation and it gets to the court, right, you've got a friend in Justice Kavanaugh. That said, no other justices join that concurrence, right? He was the only one, right? So he's a bit of a lone wolf on that one. Yeah. Um, and I think it's notable that the other eight did not join, in his opinion. Yeah. Um, and the guardrails are there. There are, are pretty much there. There's no pay for play. Right is is certainly the case, um, but there's also no more hiding behind the veil of amateurism as a justification for the rule itself. You've got to go down a different alleyway um, to you know to muster a, a defense to what you're doing that can't be the amateurism uh, alleyway, right? right? So the long term uh, remains to be seen on this, but do you think it leads to a, a, a flood of litigation? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's, I think the activity we're seeing now is the kind of activity that, that we'll see. I mean, you, you know, maybe you need to call up Jeffrey Kessler, the, the uh, protagonist for the NCAA in bringing these, these lawsuits, the lawyer that's 
that's headed the way. I mean, all, all they all we've got for the next step, right? I think it's, it's more of a bar on the activity that's going on now. Kavanaugh's language, again, for your pin law experience, is, is dicta. I mean, nobody, there's no further support other than the words of this, this sole judge. That doesn't mean it won't be utilized by others, but it's just not as powerful as a, as a court's opinion. And, and it reflects back on, although it was in the, in the majority opinion, reflects back on the opinion that, that a lot of people have been relying on um, the Board of Regents case from, from 1984. Is that, is that Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah, and that was, so for, for again, for I, our, I, I, I could teach the sports law stuff again. Yeah, exactly. For, <laughs> for our sports law neophytes, uh, Board of Regents of Universities of Oklahoma and Georgia, the NCAA, uh, Justice Stevens writing for the majority, um, had some language that was um, that was dicta. It wasn't binding. It wasn't the law. It was just really, you know, sign a separate conversation um, that the NCAA relied on as the cornerstone of its defense in, uh, you know, in, in various uh, antitrust cases and otherwise over the years. Um, and that seems to no longer be applicable, right? Yeah, I would say I mean, the, the, majority of the Gorsuch opinion essentially said the Gor- that's not what it means. Correct. So Gorsuch, so forever, you know, so the NCAA, that's why the NCAA can no longer go down that pathway, right? So beyond college sports and more college sports and Shikari Richardson conversation, uh, what's coming up? Uh, that you are keeping your eyes on in sports over the next uh, period of time? You know, I'm not sure what it's, it's going to mean, um, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but if the Phoenix Suns win the championship, and there's already history with uh, Monty Williams as the head coach and James Jones as the general manager of, of two black leaders in those positions, Um it, it will be interesting. Your, your New York Knicks for a moment had, you know, they were, in 19, they had, uh, <laughs> they had a black president, a black head coach, and a black GM. You don't want to take the Knicks? You're a New York I am not a Knicks fan. Let's be very disclosure. <laughs> uh, you know, here they come, everybody. Philadelphia 76ers is what it's all about. It always has been and always will be. So that, that, I that's the situation, but go ahead. That, that said, it's going to be interesting to watch and see the impact of this. There, there's always an undercurrent of conversation about the absence of, of black head coaches in, in the NBA. I mean, you don't, you don't often recognize it that, you know, rarely is it over a, a third of, of the coaches are African-American. And, and, and in a league where a great number of the coaches, there are exceptions, of course, with Spolstra and, and a number of others that, that, that did not play the game. But so many of the coaches in the NBA played the game uh, and for there not to be a larger number of African-Americans. And here are two guys who played the game, for, you know, I think they would both describe themselves as, uh, you know, a, a level above journeymen. They, they stole money for, for a good number of years, and here they are in, into the championship. So we are interested to have that in the, the context of the conversation of who's being hired as a head coach of the various teams and who's being hired as the GM. So I'll be watching that. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still focused on the Olympics um, with it coming up very quickly uh, on us. You know, we woke up to news this morning as we record this uh, on, um, you know, on Thursday, July 8th, uh, that a state of emergency has indeed been declared in Tokyo 
um, that there will be no fans allowed at the events, um, you know, save for maybe, you know, an exception for dignitaries, you know, and, and right. a handful of others. But the general fan is not going to be uh, at the game by, games by all indications. Um, and, you know, I, I look at that as really a, a sign of the times. I think it's a, it's a necessary um, moment uh, for the Olympics games, the Olympics and the games itself and for the athletes, um, but a, a really unfortunate one uh, that their, that their families will not be able to be there. Um, you know, Ken, one of, one of our former uh, students from Penn, one of my favorite uh, students of all time, Sam Mattis, uh, a thrower uh, qualified for the games. Um, so excited for Sam and his family and his father, who was a thrower, uh, who coached him as a kid and, and everything else. And, um, and they can't be there, you know, and that story plays itself out over and over and over again uh, with all of these athletes from across the world who have um, great stories. Most of them won't medal. This is the pinnacle of their athletic experience as Olympians. Um, and it's a bittersweet moment, um, I think, for all of them. And as, a, you know, as spectators of fans, uh, most of those athletes aren't going to medal, of course, um, but that doesn't mean you're not an Olympian forever. And, you know, I look at that Olympic experience, unfortunately, for those athletes as um, probably being a bit lesser than it otherwise would be because you couldn't share it with the people who helped you get to that point in your life. Yeah, no, I, I was speaking with a, a parent of, of a, a new, newly crowned uh, going to be an Olympian. And he said that they were struggling with, with what to do since they, they can't be with their athlete daughter. And he said, you know, one thing that we're looking into is trying to be somewhere where at least we're in the same time zone so we can have conversations. Because um, even if you're in, in country, you find a way you're in country, the athletes aren't allowed to, to leave. Uh, they, you know, they, they, are, they're, 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 they are locked into this zone, this, this bubble of sorts, which doesn't allow you to go to other hotels and other facilities that aren't, aren't uh, sanctioned by um, by the USOPC and, and otherwise. Yeah, certainly a sign of the times and, and one that, uh, you know, kicks off in uh, opening ceremonies just over two weeks away. So until then, in our next episode, uh, this has been the Sports Professors Podcast, Scott Rosner, along with Ken Shropshire. See you next time. Take care. The Sports Professors Podcast is brought to you by Global Sport Matters in collaboration with Columbia University. For more news and to sign up for our newsletter from Global Sport Matters, go to globalsportmatters.com. And for more from the Columbia University Sport Management Program, go to sps.columbia.edu sports. This episode was produced by me, Kendall Jones, Manager of Events and Programs at the Global Sport Institute. And huge thanks to our sound designer and editor, Sam Esparza and Big U Music. Global Sport Matters podcast is a production of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our manager of marketing and communications is Crisal Valencia. Our digital communications specialist is Brendan Clean. And our marketing and event assistants are Natalie Skegan, Aiden Corrales, and Kate Nelson. Find more episodes by searching for the Global Sport Matters podcast and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Stay up to date with the Global Sport Matters team by following us on Twitter. We're at Global Sport MTRS.